Hello, welcome back to the Veterans Lounge Podcast. Miguel Mata, your host. Today, my guest is going to be Ian Braddock. Ian is the gentleman who reached out to me to work in association with his nonprofit organization, the Veterans Nexus Foundation. Uh, he knew that I had some experience podcasting, social media, etc., what whatnot, and he felt it appropriate to reach out to me and ask if I would partner up with him and try to one get the stories of veterans. He he like me takes a, a, a large interest in the veteran's story. Um, where do people come from? What made them want to join the military? What kind of challenges did they face as they exited the military? What are they doing now? Um, he's interested in all that stuff as well. So knowing that we had that in common, he reached out to me and asked if I would work, uh, if I would partner up with his organization and do my part in getting the veteran's story out there while simultaneously getting the word out that his organization exists whose mission it is to help veterans, especially when it comes to transitions. So I felt it only appropriate to get Ian on the podcast early so we could hear his story, learn about what got him into the military, why did he join the military, what was his transition like, and also, of course, to give us a little bit of background behind the Veterans Nexus Foundation. I would like to put this small little disclaimer. As this podcast gets going, the quality of the product is going to be a little on the low side, but it's going to get, it's going to improve, I promise. It's going to improve. But uh, with that being said, and without further ado, here's Ian Braddock. All right, how's it going? Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the Veterans Lounge Podcast. Miguel Mata, your host, and I am here with my guest, Ian Braddock. Say hello, Ian. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Ian Braddock is a prior Marine. Well, I, from what I understand, this is something that my brother told me. Once a Marine, always a Marine, right? That's, that's how it works. <laughs> Once a Marine, always a Marine. But uh, Ian Braddock is a Marine Corps veteran, and I thank you very much, Ian, for, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Miguel. Well, I'll tell you what. I am eager to get started to talk to you because you're – you are the one that reached out to me to try to partner up with you and your group, the Veterans Nexus Foundation. And I'm eager to learn and I'm eager to share what uh, the Veterans Nexus Foundation is about and its mission and, and that sort of stuff. I'm always, always curious and interested to learn the steps that led to your joining the service. All When, when did you serve, by the way? Uh, from 2014 to 2018. So from... Whatever steps got you to join the service in 2014, I'm curious curious to hear about that. So would you mind sharing that with us? What what got you to join the service? Why'd you join the Marines? That's, that's not a problem. Um, so I was actually um, I was actually gonna join the Army um, and I went to the recruiter's office and uh, the Army recruiter wasn't there. Um, so this Marine Corps recruiter, um, say, I don't remember the, the guy's name, he, he's long gone, but, um, he ran over there and he was like, what are you, what are you going to do that for? Why would you always want to do that? And, you know, before you know it, I'm sitting in the Marine Corps recruiter's 
uh, you know, office and we're talking. Um, and you, at the time, it didn't really matter to me which branch that, I mean, I was really concerned about that. Um, but I just kind of started to gravitate away from joining the Army to joining the Marine Corps. I'm glad I did. Um, I would do it again. Um, it, you know, it was probably one of the, the best decisions I ever made for myself. Um, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, but I, I really, I was tired of not doing anything that really mattered. I was tired of, um, you know, not really having anything other than, you know, I mean, I had more than the clothes on my back. I, I you know, I, I was okay, but I was tired of not having, I guess, more. If, How old if, were you? Uh, I was 20. So you were already out of high school a few years and you were just ready to take that next step, that, that's, that next step of independence maybe? Yeah, yeah, that's that's basically it. I, I was, like I said, I just really wanted more than what I had. Um, and, you, you know, the, the only way to get more than what you have is, you know, you gotta, you gotta step up to the plate, you gotta take that challenge. You have, you have to do it for yourself. Nobody's gonna do it for you. Interesting. I'm listening to you talk and it, you're saying, when I hear you say more than what you have, would you, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you wanted more than what you had and you gravitated, you gravitated towards the military. What was it about the military that, that attracted you to, to give you whatever that more was? So uh, I think the biggest thing for me was it kind of, it gave, it kind of gave me a, um, a direction to go in. Um, you know, after high school, uh, I mean, I, I didn't go to, to college or a trade school or anything like that. So I was just kind of hanging out in the wind. Um, the military it really gave me a, a you know, it gave me a sense of purpose, but it also really gave me a, a direction to go down and somewhere to, to you know, to funnel that energy and the time and you know, the dedication to, to actually doing something that was worth doing um, instead of just, you know, bagging groceries at a, at a grocery store. Is that what you were doing? It was, yeah. I was a cashier at, say, um, uh, Aldi's. Where are you from originally? Uh, South Carolina. You're uh, from Baltimore. South Carolina? Yeah. All right. South Carolina. 20 years old said I gotta get I gotta get out of here Jack yeah oh yeah and you chose <laughs> and you chose the Marine Corps what is it what did you do in the Marines uh, so in the Marine Corps I was a, a bulk fuel specialist um, so kind of two different things I did um, I tested the fuel to make sure that um, you know it was good that it was acceptable to, to go into um, into aircraft uh, the other thing I did was um, when I was at um, Marine Corps Station Cherry Point I actually fueled the airplanes um, out on the flight line. Um, so it's two very different, um, two very different worlds, I guess you could say. Um, one is more quality control. One is, you know, actually doing the, doing the work. Um, when I was in Japan, um, I was part of the uh, engineer support battalion that was out there. Um, we went to, uh, went to South Korea um, and we did a, a combined, um, a combined mission uh, with uh, the, the rock Marines and some other, other forces. Um, and that was the, like doing the ground side type work, uh, where you have the fuel bladders on the ground. Um, but yeah, I was, a uh, um, uh, both fuel specials. Japan, were you in Okinawa? I was, yes. Good old Camp Hansen. Yeah. <laughs> I did a few years in Okinawa myself. Back you got in down Kadena? Yeah, back in Kadena. Yeah. I always got, um, there were several times, I don't know if you've ever been on Kadena, but there were several times when I was driving from uh, um, one of the, the shopettes or whatever, right? And the, the Marine dorms were somewhere around there. I, I can't remember exactly, but I'd always, you know, see guys, young guys walking 
right, walking, middle of the night type stuff. And I'd know exactly who they were and where they were going. I'd pull over, was like, Marine Corps? He said, yes, sir. You need a ride to the dorms? He said, please. <laughs> he said, please, sir. So I said, okay. Because the Marines weren't allowed to drive. I think it was like E4 and under. You couldn't, you weren't allowed to drive or something like that. So the yeah, they're always hoping it. For, for uh, um, a lot of the Marines that were out there, that was, that was basically still the reality. It was, um, I mean, if you, were, if you were married, it was different because, I mean, if your family's out there, you know, obviously you, they're out there and, and if you have a kid and things like that, you, know, you have transportation, you have a vehicle. But most, um, I mean, if you open the barracks nine times out of ten, you're not going to have a vehicle. Right. Um, I mean, especially if you're, um, you're like, a, like an E3 or below, if you're like a Lance Corporal, the, the last thing that they probably want is you drive around a foreign country in a, in a sports car. Tell you what, the other thing that I thought was, you know, being an Air Force guy, we're relax about our well we're not entirely lax about our grooming standards but we are definitely not cranked up to 11 like the marines are about their grooming standards i remember i had to go to i can't remember what what uh, base it was there was a base up there it's been so long since i was fatima does that sound right anyway it was the it was the base that had the the theater on there and they had a big px up there but uh this young man this young kid was coming out of the px and you know, he had a little scruff on his face, right? And this, I guess, Marine NCO, and they were in civilian clothes, right? Air Force guys in civilian clothes. It's like, whatever, right? But Marines don't mess around, boy. That dude got lit up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some NCO that saw him just just giving him the business about grooming standards. Just oh, like, yeah, gum, dude. Okay, these guys don't mess around. That's, that's the thing, man. You know, you, you, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. I think it's <laughs> yeah. the best way to put that. I mean... You, you 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 walk out of your barracks room door and you know that you're wrong and you know what is about to happen and you do it anyways. <laughs> so it's like okay well you know you, you you decide to play you know play a stupid game so you know kind of you you reap what you sow I guess so it's two that you joined in 2014 you did one enlistment you got out in 2018 yep. what uh, what made you decide to get out? So I, um, I really just wanted to do something different. I, I enjoyed my time in, um, but at the same time, I, I really felt that it was time to do something, something different. Um, I, about halfway through my enlistment, I knew I wanted to, um, to go back to school, um, you know, because it, it's, that's how you, I don't know, I guess the best way to say it is get ahead. You know, you, you go to school, you get an education, you, or you go to trade school, or, or you want a skill or, or, you know, something. Right. Yeah. Um, so I knew I really wanted to do that. Um, and I also knew that you, you can, you can go to school while you're in that's, that is possible, but it's also very difficult to do. Um, and I already knew at the time that I had plans to go to, um, on to like get a PhD or get a, a JD from a law school. So I knew I needed, you know, really good grades. Um, and I really just wasn't willing to roll the dice, um, on staying in and, um, and getting grades that, you know, weren't going to get me into a, a good law school. So you, you're saying halfway through your enlistment, you made the decision that you wanted to be a lawyer. Um, not, not so much definitely be a lawyer. I knew I wanted to do something, um, working with people, working with the public. Um, oh, okay. Okay. But I didn't know definitely, um, that I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. Well, as I learned from somebody else who explained it to me, law school is a lot more than just being a lawyer. 
you know, there's, they're not obligated. Like it's the, for those of us, I guess, lay people who don't know, who don't know any better, you believe that law school heads to the courtroom always, but that's not necessarily the case every time. It's, and um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, well, I was gonna say it is, it's, it's a lot more than that. I mean, it's, it's yes, you know, you have proceedings in the courtroom, but you also have, you know, people, if, if, you're an attorney and you don't have good people skills. I mean, or if you're in any type of, of job really, or, or any type of leader position, if, if you don't have those good communication skills or, or anything like that, I mean, you're not going to be very good at your job and people are not going to want to go to you. Um, so just that, just that, so I make sure that I understand you correctly, you know, right around halfway through your enlistment, you realize you want to go back to school. And then before you get out, you realize you want to go, go into law school. Is that hard? Um, so about halfway through my enlistment, I, I knew I wanted to go back to school. I knew that I definitely wanted to continue my education. Um, and then really towards the end of my enlistment, um, you know, I, I had traveled a lot by then. Um, and I, I'd always been really interested in politics and the news and, and things like that. And the more I researched um, and the more that I traveled, the more I really got interested in international law. Um, and how different countries interact and, and treaties and things like that. Because, um, you know, for better or for worse, that's kind of what makes the, the world turn is, is all these different countries talking. Um, and really towards the end of my enlistment, I decided uh, I wanted to go to law school. Awesome. Which I guess, you know, kind of right around that same time is where you and I actually meet because we met right here in Charleston, South Carolina, at the on the campus of the College of Charleston. We were both on our own respective um, journeys, higher education journeys. Um, and you were at that point already made the decision to go to law school. Now, me, I was, I was following the education track, which four years, graduate, get into work. You, on the other hand, what is it that you... Cause you graduated at the same time I did. What, what degree did you graduate with? And like, how does that fall into your, your legal journey? Yeah. So I graduated uh, with a, um, with a BA in um, uh, political science and international studies. Um, and I did it that way intentionally because I wanted to cast a wide net. Um, not just, you know, so I had a good understanding of politics in the United States, but so I had a really good understanding of different you know, different, the different layers of the world, how the different countries are and things like that, which I really felt like the, the degree from the College of Charleston that I got, um, I really felt like it, it did a good job of that. Um, and that kind of plays into, you know, the, me going to law school because of the way that uh, a degree in political science and international studies teaches you how to think. It teaches you kind of, you know, it, it lays the groundwork. It teaches you how to, how to write. It teaches you how to, to read a certain way and look for details and things like that. Um, I mean, cause you can, you can sit there all day and you can read a piece of paper, but if you don't, if you can't pick out the tiny little details, um, you know, it's kind of not a worthless piece of paper, but it, it could be a lot more useful than it is. So, um, let me ask you this. Whenever I, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was because one of the observations that I'm, that I made while we were on campus was that a lot of people seem to have a lot of difficulty, experience a lot of challenges. They really had a hard time making their transition from military to civilian life. Like it was hard for a, for a lot of guys and gals. 
how was what was your experience like? Did you find it diff- difficult or challenging, or did you feel prepared? Um, I so I'll, I'll I guess the best way I can put it like this: it, the first two weeks, um, you, you know, I I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. This is this is great. I can I can do whatever I want. You know, the, the initial you know happiness of of you know not having to stand watch or and not having to check in with people or not having to worry about all these other you know, things happening that I'm sure we can both think of. Um, and it, it, at first it was great, but the more that time went on, the, the days and the weeks and, and the, the months they passed, um, I mean, it, it got rough. It did. Um, it, I, I wish I could say that um, it was super easy and it was a breeze. And, you know, before you knew it, this, you know, here, here I am. Um, but it, it was, it was rough for a while. Um, I mean, I always tell people it's like taking a fish out of water because you're literally, I mean, you're taking somebody who, you know, for lack of a better term, they've been, how they think has been reconstructed, how they act has been reconstructed. And they're put into this environment where they know who they are. They know their job. They know who they report to. They know everything that they are supposed to know. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like a fish does. And if you put a fish in in a pond, it knows how to swim. It knows how to, hunt for food and all that kind of stuff. Um, you take, if you put your hand in there and you grab that fish and you take it out of the water, it's going to flop around. Um, that's, that's kind of what I think it's, it was like, um, it's just kind of trying to figure out, you know, what the heck to do. Um, can you elaborate on any specific challenges that you might've, that you experienced? Yeah. So uh, I think one of the big ones was, so, you know, the, um, the Marine Corps, I mean, we definitely have a, uh, well, the military in general, but the Marine Corps, I mean, we definitely have a, um, uh, an appetite for, um, you know, for drinking. Um, so I, I mean, that was definitely, that was, a um, that I think that not so much of an issue, but it was definitely a challenge, you know, to kind of rein that in because, you know, you're used to one lifestyle, um, you know, where it's, you know, not socially acceptable, but socially acceptable. And it's, it's considered the societal norm, if you will. Right. Um, you know, as opposed to, you know, your, your, the people you work with are not going to go and, and crush a 30 rack of beer after work with you. That's most people. That's just, when you get out. <laughs> right. 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 It's, it's just not going to happen. I, I get it. Yeah. I, I think, I think I understand, you know, the, you're in the, in, the, in your previous setting, right. That would have been acceptable because it was just part of the, it was just kind of part of the construct, right. It's just how you got through. It's not necessarily, how you got through your day. I said, how you got through your day as if you needed it to do it, but it was just something that you did and it was part of your routine. And I think one of my biggest challenges was like, and you're still kind of facing, you still kind of faces that as, as a, as a military member, you're a problem solver and as a problem, and you're an immediate problem solver. And as an immediate problem solver, you're a direct talker, a direct communicator. You, you know, you just say things and you speak at people instead of to them a lot of times, right? Especially if it's, especially when you talk about solving problems specifically, because that's how we, that's how we work in a, in a, in a team where there's supposed to be team members and everybody's got a role to play. If you're not going to play your role, then you need to move because you slow the rest of us down. Right? So that's what it's that thinking that doesn't necessarily apply. And that's that communication style that doesn't necessarily re- translate and that's probably one of my biggest, one of, what was one of my biggest adjustments to make, which it doesn't take long to figure out, but you end up figuring it out. And for some people, especially, like I said, the, 
the people that we came across when we were, you know, in school. And I, I seem to, I seem to notice that it was a lot of younger people, the guys that did four to eight years and less, and then got out. And they're the ones that seem to have the most difficulty. Anyway, they have the, they have the problem solving skills, but they just don't necessarily have the people skills. I, I really think it's, um, you know, I think it depends on, it, it kind of goes back to what you said about the people who did a certain amount of time and they got out or, or they did a certain amount of time and stayed in. I, I think part of it is, you know, your leadership develops over time. And once you're, you know, once you're a platoon sergeant, you, you have to, you know, you have to communicate with people. You have to mm-hmm. communicate with higher exactly. and lower. Um, and I think a lot of times, you know, from my experience, at least the people who, who have been at that level of leadership and above, you know, I feel like maybe they got out with a little bit of an advantage because they're used to communicating on, on that level. Agreed. Um, as opposed to the, you know, the Lance Corporal who's just told to go and paint rocks. Right, or, exactly. Yeah. Do whatever it may be. Um, so, I mean, that, that could definitely be, a, 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 I guess, a catalyst for, for that. Right. Being someone who's aware that, that um, the veteran community needs, you know, is in need of assistance, uh, several different types of assistance. You started a nonprofit organization called Veterans Nexus. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What inspired that? Where'd that idea come from? All that stuff? Sure. So uh, I, I had the idea probably about two years ago. Um, I want to say I had been at the College of Charleston for about a year. Um, I, was, I went into a bookstore, um, uh, the college bookstore actually, um, with a friend of mine and she was just getting her textbooks um, and she had her son with her and um, you know she was taking um, she was taking all these very heavy like science classes and the textbooks were super expensive um, and you know the, the GI Bill it only gives you 500 bucks a, a semester well by the time we walked out of the store I mean she must have spent over a thousand dollars on textbooks and you know it's like she just spent a thousand dollars on textbooks she's got her son with her and I mean, I know she was a single mom at the time. So it's like, you know, something about that just doesn't seem right. You know, uh, the individual in question, you know, she gave, I want to say it was like eight years of her life to, to, the, to the Marine Corps and to turn around and, you know, I guess, no, I don't want to say take something from her son, but, you know, take, put money somewhere else where it could have been spent a lot better. If that makes sense. Um, so that's kind of when things started to, to, to brew, I guess, in my mind, um, that, you know, things needed to change, that we need to do something. Um, and then it kind of, it kind of molded itself over time, I guess, is like we were in, um, you know, we were at school and we would talk to other veterans and things like that. And I would just kind of sit there and listen to the issues they were having. Um, and it became clear that there were a few things that, you know, that needed to change. Um, after that, kind of like, I guess the last, you know, last piece that kind of pushed me over the edge. Um, I did the, um, the Vantage Point Foundation leadership course. Um, I want to say it was last, I want to say it was last September or October. Um, anyways, it was a few months before um, I filed the paperwork for the foundation, but um, I was listening. Uh, we had a, a general, a guest general uh, uh, come and talk. Um, and I was listening to what he was saying as well. And it, I felt like he had noticed a lot of the same problems, um, you know, that, that I was also noticing. Um, and kind of going back to what you had said about being problem solvers, you know, 
I, I've never really found it, um, that it helped anybody just to, you know, sit there and twiddle my thumbs and, you know, be like, oh, well, we have these problems. I mean, well, yes, we see them, but, you know, let's, let's do something about it. Um, so it's kind of when I, when I decided to, to file the paperwork and I started putting pen to paper and um, just kind of started floating the idea around of, of, you know, seeing what people thought and, and things like that. Um, and before you know it, I mean, we had a, um, you know, paperwork was filed and, and everything that was once, a, uh, I guess, a dream, if you will, um, you know, was, was reality. Um, and one thing that I also think is very important is, you know, I, I met with, um, with Mark Holyfield, uh, he's the executive director of Vantage Point. And, and we were talking, I was kind of floating some ideas by him when we, when we had lunch. Um, and one of the things that, that Mark said to me that really flipped the switch, if you will, was, you know, th there's a lot of organizations out there and they do a lot of good work. But, you know, I think a lot of times what happens is there's a big focus on the negative. There's a big focus on, on all the negative things that happen. Um, and that's not really, that's not what I wanted the organization to be about. Um, I wanted the organization to be about, you know, the good things that people are doing um, and things like that. So that, you know, you're not, you're not focusing on that negative energy. Um, Cause you know, if you focus on the negative energy, you know, it, it doesn't help anybody. Um, so that was a really good conversation between me and Mark um, that really kind of hit the nail on the head for me. When you say negative, folks on the negative, are you talking like the PTSD and the depression, anxiety and that sort of stuff? Or are you talking about something else? Um, so more of what I'm, I'm talking about is, is a, a lot of that, yes. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is, you know, addressing, you know, left of bang, if you will. So like, you know, you have like all these issues, sure. But if you can get on the left side of it before it happens. If you can, you know, help mentor and guide these people before, you know, they're in this hole too deep. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think, I'll, I think the time and energy is, is better spent there. So they never get to those dark places. That makes perfect sense because I can't speak for everyone, but it can be discouraging, right? And it can be discouraging to the point, especially if you, if you have, you've set a goal for yourself, you have this ambition. And if it's a college, if it's to, to go to school, right. But you're going to come up short a few hundred dollars because you can't afford the textbooks. It's easy to say, well, I'll just try next semester or I'll take the semester off or something like that. Cause you hear that a lot. I'll just take the semester off, you know, I'll save some money. Blah, blah, blah. Well, that, how, how often does that happen? When, how often do people come back? Right. Yeah, they don't. A lot of times they don't. And some of those people who slip away, they get stuck in a rut doing something they, they hate, right? They do not enjoy. And so that makes perfect sense. Get ahead of it, right? You said to the left of it, but get ahead of the problem, which is to offer support before it becomes a problem. Right. Keep them, keep them, keep their forward momentum going and keep their, you know, keep the, the pilot lit. That's, that's a, that is a great idea. I like that, that way of thinking, right? Don't slow the momentum. Cause once you stop the momentum, so hard to get back going, especially when you talk about higher education, so many people have walked away saying they're going to come back and they never come back. Right. right. 
some people, so many people say they got this goal going, whatever, just in general, right? We seek out these goals. We put a, we put, we put the pause on it, but we never jump back on it. And it's like, man, shouldn't have stopped in the first place. So yeah, good for you, man. That's, I, I like that way of thinking. Um, what kind of, before we wrap up here, cause we're kind of going, we're, we're getting towards the end of our time. Just what kind of, um, help does the veterans nexus foundation offer what kind of assistance so it's it's really a uh, a three-prong approach if you will uh we have uh, one side of the house which deals with um basically buying just buying textbooks for for veterans um up to 500 dollars. So essentially what we do is you know we we can double what that that veteran is getting um it, you know per semester um so instead of just having the 500 dollars, you know they'll have a thousand dollars or you know um you know, basically whatever it will be for them to, to be able to get their textbooks and, and not be paying out of pocket. Um, Cause that's just one thing that they definitely shouldn't be doing um, is, you know, paying out of pocket. Um, and I mean, most people don't know this, but I, I, if memory serves me correctly, you know, the, the amount for textbooks has skyrocketed while the, um, the amount that the, the GI bill supports the thousand dollars a year, $500 a semester, um, you know, it hasn't increased at all. Um, so it's still the same amount. Um, and there's also the fact that, uh, you know, during the summer, there is no, um, there is no textbook stipend at all. So you're completely um, on your own for that. Um, so you have the, the textbook grants. Um, you also have a, uh, we're currently working on a, a mentorship program. And the, it's really going to be focused on, on the STEM fields. Um, it's kind of, you know, the fields that we see in the next, you know, 5, 10, 20 years that are going to be very important. Um, so you're talking about like biotech companies where you different companies that are, you know, doing software and, and um, space exploration, things like that. Um, so we really want to, to help, you know, find those veterans that they're interested in, in that field and those fields um, and help pair them with somebody that's already doing that type of work um, that has a network that can also help support that veteran. Um, so, you know, when they graduate, they have a network already. They're not having to start from scratch. Um, and, and hopefully that leads the, the goal anyway is, they can use that network to help land a better job, a better salary, a, a better life for them and their family. Um, so that's the, the mentorship piece. Uh, the final component we have, it's, it's really a, um, uh, an employment connection piece. Um, and the reason that we have that is because one of the things that a lot of people had told me was they're like, I don't know how to write a good resume. I don't know what to put on the resume. I don't know X, Y, and Z about, you know, putting pen to paper and actually putting my information in a resume. Um, so what we did was we sat down and we created a, a veterans toolbox and within the toolbox, what you have is you have, you know, different resume templates where it's, you know, I don't, I hesitate to use the term plug and play, but that's kind of what it is. It's different formats, depending on, you know, what the, uh, what the employer is looking for. You know, they're not always going to want a, a two page resume. They might want one page, um, but we have a template on there that's for that. Um, and along with the toolbox, um, the, the director of the Employment Connections, Kyle McKibben, he's currently reaching out to different businesses um, on both the, the local, state, and, and national level um, to try to get them involved so that we can advertise some of these job openings they have. Because, you know, if, if you scroll through LinkedIn or, you know, really any social media site that these companies are on, whether it be Twitter or, or LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever, they're looking for veterans. They want to hire veterans, and it's all over the place. Um, but again, it kind of... It, it, if the veteran doesn't see it, then they're not going to know it exists. If they don't know it exists, they can't apply. Um, and there's a lot of variables that go into that, like the, um, the different algorithms that these tech companies use. 
Um, so there's, there's that. Um, but really that's, that's kind of the, the, um, the meat and potatoes of, of what we do. That's really, really, uh, that's great. That's great. I wish you, man, I wish you the best of luck. And I tell you what, proud to know you, proud to call you a friend. I really, I really wish you the best of luck. Oh, by the way, you're not done with your own higher education journey. You're, where are you at right now? Because that looks like a hotel. Uh, yeah, so, so right now I'm actually up in, uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I was uh, accepted into uh, Case Western uh, Reserve uh, University School of Law. Um, so that's where I'm going to spend the next three years of, of my life. Awesome, dude. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. Well, Ian, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me on the Veterans Lounge podcast. I really enjoyed hearing your story. Best of luck to you with your nonprofit, Veterans Nexus Foundation, and with your schooling, with law school. Wish you the very best of luck. Um, veteransnexus.org is the website if you're looking for um, more information on Ian Braddock's uh, nonprofit. And you may or may not have noticed, but that is also the website that this podcast is loca- located at. And that's because reached out to me and encouraged me to start this podcast in association with his group. So that's what we're doing. We're partnering up to try to get the word out and help veterans out with their transitions. All right, friends, this has been the Veterans Lounge Podcast. I'd like to say thanks, a big thanks to Ian Braddock for coming on and being a guest on the podcast. I tell you what, he, he like all veterans, has an interesting story um, to hear that he was going to join the army, right? How many times have we heard that story? What a, a service member was going to join one branch of the service, and then they get scooped up by another branch of service. And Ian was was just one of those people, right? Was going to join the army, ends up joining the Marine Corps. Has a, something inside him that tells him that he needs to do something bigger, right? Decides he's going to get a higher education, and decides he's going to be a lawyer. Wow! And then, of course, you know his uh, starting the Veterans Nexus Foundation to help veterans, military veterans with their transitions and making connections to higher education, helping them with higher education, getting to the left of, in his words, right, getting to the left of any problems that might arise which could discourage them from reaching their goals and then making employment connections. How fan, how fantastic is that? Thanks for joining me. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you're listening to the podcast version, the audio version, you can watch uh, the video, there's a video associated with this and it's available on YouTube. Just look up Veterans Lounge Podcast. You'll be able to find it there. If you're watching on YouTube and you re- and you prefer to listen to it in podcast form, well, the podcast audio version is available on Spotify. It's available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and um, CastBox. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, go to veteransnexus.org slash podcast. There's a form there that you can fill out we can make an appointment, we can get together, and we can try to make arrangements so that way we can record a podcast together. If you liked, one more thing, if you liked the video, if you like what you're listening and want like what you're hearing, please like and subscribe, comment, provide some feedback, okay? You guys take care. God bless.